definitely some total pitch variations coming out the other end, I assume. My name is Matthew Kroll. And if summer doesn't sing in you, then nothing sings in you. My name is Shahir Dowd. And this is the only podcast about movies, specifically the film Maestro. 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 I learned that pronunciation. Uh, from one Emma Stone in the Bradley Cooper, Emma Stone, uh, either GQ or Variety. I can't remember, like actors oh, on actors yeah, yeah. things. Maestro. And it was Maestro. <laughs> I like that they, uh, uh, Leonard Bernstein in this film has a little, not a monologue, but a little sequence where he's mentioning the famata. The famata. Yes. And, yeah. I, and I, uh, I, there's a book by Nicholson Baker, a science fiction book called uh, The Famata. Ricky Baker? Yeah, Ricky Baker. <laughs> I, I think I've talked about the famata on... The, my biggest pippy, not pippy, my thing about the Fomata. <laughs> this is going a lot of places. The Fomata is a great book. It's Nicholson Baker. It's about a man who can stop time. He can stop time, but he uses it to basically engage in sexually nefarious acts. And he meets another woman who can, who can also stop time. And they go on adventures having sexually nefarious acts. Um, Robert Zemeckis was going to option this book and was trying to make a movie of it for a little while. I think I heard of that. Yeah, yeah. And um, there, was an, there was a British indie film called Cashback which essentially use some of the elements of it um, into a film. I, I've seen that film. It, it sort of bears a little resemblance to it. But at any rate, I don't think that has a lot to do with Lenny Bernstein. I'm saying all of this because I don't know a lot about Lenny Bernstein. I and- know the song <laughs> part of End of the World. But Ariane, Leonard yeah. Bernstein. It, which is used in the most awkward way in this movie. Yeah. <laughs> it was like, yeah. I was like, did, we, did that just happen? I, yeah. I don't know. Um, so I don't know a lot about Lenny Bernstein. If, if for you, dear listener, that is an immediate turnoff. Um, I, I think I am going to try and navigate that as a factor in, in how I responded to this movie, because, because I liken it to the fact when I saw Malcolm X for the first time, I knew nothing about Malcolm X. Okay. Um, and that was a movie that sparked the fire of learning more about Malcolm X. Sure. Well, I mean that question of whether this drives us to learn more about Lenny Bernstein, I think is going to be an interesting one. It's Bernstein, right? Bernstein, Bernstein. Bernstein. Yeah. Leonard, Lenny, Lenny. Lenny. Le- I don't I'm know. I'm calling him Lenny. I apologize for any mispronunciations. No. Well, here's the thing. I think specifically it is a good thing we don't know much yeah. about him. Because we can then judge the movie on its merits and not based on whether or not we 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 knew much about the actual man. Th- that you are correct. You're 100%. I think that's a good way to enter this conversation. It is also, it, it behooves us to admit that Lenny Bernstein is a significant figure in American culture and American history. Mm-hmm. That the fact that we don't, that you and I don't know much about him is much more of an indica- um, indictment on us. I don't I listen, I don't think it's an indictment on us. I think and this is more true now than I think ever. There's a lot of media and a lot of figures who make that art. And we can't be experts or knowledgeable about every single one of them. We can't. We yeah. can't. Yeah. Yeah. I but we did West Side Story just like you know, Steven Spielberg's yep. West Side Story recently, and Leonard Bernstein is a major figure in the reason why West Side Story is so sure. Important. Um so it I guess what I'm trying to say is us not knowing a lot about Leonard Bernstein is going to not enrage listeners, but there are going to be people. How enraged are you? Yeah, listeners? There are going to be people who know about Leonard Bernstein just more casually um, because they grew up in America. Man, Izzy's going to be so mad listening <laughs> to this episode. If she listens to us at all. Maybe. I did. I reached out to Izzy from BK Rewind and was like, would you please come and talk to us about, <laughs> uh, about Maestro? Just begging. <laughs> yeah, because I was like, it's just, it's just that I, I wanted some educational, um, uh, something you know of value to come out of this uh, for me personally. Here's the thing of uh, value I'll offer. If you are not familiar with BK Rewind uh, on YouTube, Be Rewind and Izzy's work, please go check uh, her out. She does phenomenal. Basically, I don't even know how we'd classify her at this point. Yeah, She's just fish. a... What was that? Video essay. Video essay. Yes. As as are we all. No, but just on, on classic on <laughs> classic cinema and uh actors in Hollywood and just so many, so many wonderful cinema topics. So please uh check out her stuff. Um but yeah. The reason we're doing this is Maestro is nominated for uh Best Picture this year, when we've typically always tried to review every film that has been nominated for Best Picture. We do we gotta change this somehow though, because we also don't we don't make it a rule that we got to do every best foreign film or every best documentary. And like there's a richness to what the Academy Awards offers that we don't even get into the heart of. You are a thousand percent correct. Yeah. Here's why I think the rule was implemented. Yeah. 
if we do best picture noms, more people listen to the podcast. Mm -hmm. That's because everyone's trying to catch up. And and look, I don't think this but, is a good system. Yeah. I don't think it is a fair system. I think we are playing ball. Yeah. And and straight up, I while I do agree that we should check out uh other categories, uh nominees and winners, um we I will, will say that the rule the rule that we've set here to look at the best picture noms has gotten me to see a lot of films that I otherwise wouldn't. And yeah. and that for that I am grateful for the exercise of the Oscars. Yeah. Um and so I don't know, like it just it's a good opportunity to check out some movies like I don't think I'd probably I, I definitely wanted to see um, uh, I was I wasn't even familiar with Zone of Avengers. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm psyched to see that. I, I don't think you will be. No. <laughs> well, it, it's 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 uh, it's a challenging film. And Great. It's, it's it's the most uh, of these films. It's the most, um, I think, formal exercise as a film. Yeah, well, you sometimes I, mean? I like that. As long as I know it going in, I'll be fine. Yeah. Uh, also, did you see uh, Glaze's last film, Under the Skin? No. Under the Skin? Yeah, like, I saw that in a movie theater. It's like, you have to be aware of what you're walking into. Well, <laughs> no, I mean, or or get into the rhythm of that. Jonathan Glazer, by the way, we could talk about them for him for a while. We will talk about Jonathan Glazer because we will be doing Zone of Interest and we will be doing American Fiction, which will basically round us out for all the Best Picture nominees. Mm -hmm. uh, Jonathan Glazer is one of my, um, I, I'm a big music video person. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I've made yeah. music videos. I love music videos. Jonathan Glazer uh, is one of the greatest music video directors that has ever lived. Uh, if you have not seen his music video for Jamiroquai's um, uh, virtual insanity. insanity or uh he made a video for a band called uncle uh, i can't remember the the name of the track but it's phenomenal um one of the greatest greatest music video filmmakers that has ever lived and um and his last two films are proving that the depth to his interests lie far deeper than the surface level of a music video okay yeah so i i'm i'm excited for those reasons well there we go uh, well eventually we'll get there yeah we will it'll um a uh, listener, uh, I, this is a, this is a personal shout out to a listener uh, who chimes into us from Twitter, who is about to have a child. Ah! Uh, congratulations! Uh, you know who you are. You know, and uh, you know what you uh, did. I, I was tweeting today about the fact that we were doing Maestro this week, and they were excited because they 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 were about to have a child, and they knew they could get to Maestro because it's on Netflix. Uh, <laughs> I also then said, hey, if that's the case, these are the next two movies. If you want to get to them before your child comes along, maybe it's a good idea. Um, Keep us posted. We're very excited for you. Uh, yeah. You're about to have a child. That's a, that's a new addition to the uh, to the listener family. And the, yeah, you make sure they listen from birth to <laughs> yeah. every episode. They don't have to play catch up. Yeah. I, I, that's cruel. Uh, but what you should do is actually be listening. Um, intra, uh, intra through the womb. Through the they should, yeah <laughs> headphones. There should be what should be done. And then from this point on, I think yeah. is really the move. <laughs> and I can guarantee you that that child will be a child. Um, <laughs> What was I going to say? Uh, oh, so speaking of the Netflix of it all. Okay. Um, I had issue with something. Every week you have an issue. What's the, what was the issue? Oh, I'm sorry. Have you not done this podcast with me for the better no, part of eight and a half years? Issue, a technical issue. Yeah. Yeah. Because, okay. Yeah. I'm, I'll, let, me, let me back it up. Let me back it up. Titles issues I'm wondering, week. have you noticed okay. more these days, mm -hmm. this is old man Matt shaking his cane. That they're actually on anything that is not a physical piece of media, mm -hmm. that there is more technical hiccups more often. And I'm talking about streaming. I'm even talking about going to the movies. Like I'm just noticing. And, and, and let me rephrase. Yeah, it could even be beyond technical. I mean, it, we could talk about people being a little more comfortable and therefore a little more rude in the cinema or stuff like I just feel like lately. What, what was the issue that you had this time? Weirdly, I thought it was the bit rate, mm -hmm. but I think it was the encode. Because um, there's a scene at the very end where it's, it changes a color tone mm -hmm. and the bit rate does not recover yeah. for a good seven seconds. Yeah. And I know I, it happened to me. And, it, and to be honest, what's supposed to be a really powerful moment and meaningful moment in the movie, because my tech brain will look at these things, knocked me out of the ending of this movie so hard because someone didn't think about that or they didn't care. And and that bugs me about when when good movies uh, or really any movie, I guess, 
goes on a streaming service because that's the majority of the way that people are going to see it. And maybe they don't notice, but it was like bad. I did I, like, yeah, I did. I did. It definitely happened to me as well. Um, I, I think <laughs> this is kind of like a, it's a huge mathematical problem mm -hmm. to be able to stream data to this many devices at the highest quality. And it's interesting because Netflix has produced the film. Um, so you would wonder whether they would, spend more on their own content or have some sort of, and they may very well do. Or have the forethought to make sure that since that was the medium it was going to be displayed on, a choice like that would not be made because there's no other, there's no other color palette like that swap till that last shot. Right, right. And so to know, knowing your platform and knowing its technical uh, benefits and limitations, I feel like is a really important piece of making a piece of media on it. I, I'm, I, my, I guess my level of forgiveness about sure. this is that I imagine the problem of the amount of data that Netflix is dealing with is on a scale far greater than, than, then I can probably make like thousand percent. I, 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 we create assets for video production, for distribution, for streaming all the time. Netflix has one of the most rigorous color and delivery platform um, spreadsheets that I've ever seen. Mm -hmm. um, it, you have to become certified to be a Netflix thousand to percent to, to export to Netflix. And, and so what I'm su suggesting here is that they're, uh, they're a mono, they're almost on a monolithic scale. Imagine the world's largest video store serving the most people on the planet at this point as a single service with the most amount of data. And I'm saying I can understand how things like that slip through the cracks. And so I, I get, I would, I would be, I think honestly, completely forgiving of it. If this wasn't a Netflix film soup right. to nuts, they made this mm -hmm. for their plot. This isn't something they're buying or, or getting the rights to, or anything like, like they, they, they made this. Yeah. They should know that. And they should plan for that. They should know their rigorous testing. And with that rigorous testing, that one thing, I know I'm harping on this, we will get to the yeah, actual yeah, yeah. meat of the movie, I think was weirdly like hyper unprofessional. Like I get that it's hard. I get that it's insane. Yeah. But, but they're making the thing and then putting what I would posit as one of the most powerful moments of the movie in a way that will knock a decent amount of viewers, I think, off of it. And I can't see it. In and outside of maybe like fourth screenings or like whatever, mm. like this is where I have to watch this movie. So yeah. it bugged me. And it was just, again, it is not something that ruined the entire experience mm. or anything like that. It's just, it was one of those things that I caught and I was like, oh, maybe it was my internet. Yeah. I, I rewound, I did it, I paused, I waited, I did a whole bunch of like weird little tests that yeah. I know how to yeah. do and it wasn't. It was how, whatever, and maybe at the umpteenth level of 4K or whatever, it's a little bit better. I have no idea. They also offer a higher bit rate. Yeah. So maybe Service, it's fixed yeah. there, yeah. but you could also do a different color, but I don't know. Anyway, <laughs> I don't want to harp on it too much. It was just something that I noticed. And I'm back in the day. It felt like even if the standards weren't as rigorous, they were still more um, consistent. Can I, can I, can I make an observation? Yeah. You personify in, you personify large monoliths as individuals making decisions. I don't a lot I, in this particular case. I don't think I am. I do that jokingly a lot, uh, yeah. but I think. But 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 uh, what I guess what I'm saying is Netflix is a large monolith. So should made we up, should made up we, of a lot of people? And I, and I and I agree with you. The 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 end result for the end user was one that was undesirable. Yeah, I I I'm not disputing that. I I'm just positing here that there's a lot that goes into getting that film to the, to, to us. And therefore they should care about the details of that film enough to adjust something for that. Yeah. And again, it's because they made it. This is not a fucking whatever that they put onto their service and yeah. it just doesn't match up because. Right, right. But, and, and so, you know, when I said you, yeah. you it's that same thing about they made it. The, the engineering team is a very different team to the producing team that, commissions films like this, right? Sure, you don't think there should be some conversation about I'm, the, the- I'm, you and I have both worked for large organizations where there are no conversations like that with people who who are down the hall from, from each other. On the flip side of this conversation, <laughs> there is something that I've noticed about you is you you do apologize for corporations a lot. I, I, <laughs> I apologize for them because I've seen how they work and how monolithic they can be I, listen, and how challenging it is to get, uh, thousand to percent. get a document approved. Thousand percent. Lots of stuff is challenging. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If they're if they're putting out a movie that they are creating, 
this should have been something that was caught somewhere. Somewhere, <laughs> someone along the line, probably yeah. someone high up who doesn't give a fuck. Yeah, yeah. I, I just, agree. Just was like, ah, it's fine. Yeah. And I, that's the part I don't agree with. I don't agree with someone being, ah, it's fine. What I'm saying is- You don't think anyone flagged that and someone else was like a higher up on the chain didn't give a shit. What I'm saying is what likely happened is the decision-making process in order to reverse or to change that requires looking at an ecosystem that is as large as Netflix. And therefore they said what? And I and don't therefore know, they said I, it's I fine. I don't know what they said. They said it was I, fine. I Someone may, looked at that cut or that encode or whatever and said, <laughs> it's fine. And, that, and, and, and it, that's what, yeah. And it's not fine. <laughs> uh, like, it, so anyway, regardless- <laughs> I just, it was something I noticed specifically because this is a movie you can't see anywhere else. Right. And that's why. I don't, I would not be having this conversation. Right. Uh, uh, I wouldn't have even brought it up, I don't think. It yeah. just got me thinking about if this is the process that we're going to see major Oscar nominated motion pictures with. Yeah. It just, it was, it was a and little book. Comparatively, I, I've always like felt that the Apple TV experience felt very premium. And I don't know why. And this could be one of those reasons. It could be. Yeah. I, and I don't, uh, I actually, I, I don't think I've ever delivered anything for Apple TV. We could actually probably talk to Red about that. Yeah. Um, uh, the reason I do, it, the reason I feel that way is that when you rent or buy a film on Apple TV, you kind of get all the the benefits of the special features, everything collected together. Everything feels co compressed correctly. Even uh, when we were talking about um, uh, Anatomy of a Fall, uh, we were talking about the the yeah. subtitle track yeah. versus the closed captioning only. And and on Prime, there was only one. And on Apple, it had options. Yeah. And that's great. Yeah. Like, so I don't know. I, yeah. I with so many with so many choices that are slowly being whittled down to one. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's nice to call out the differences when we see them. Them. So tell us what the monolith of uh, the Internet Movie Database tells us about <laughs> about Maestro. The one person <laughs> that that is in charge of Sid not only cultivating <laughs> and writing every movie description says that Maestro is about the following. <laughs> this love story chronicles the lifelong relationship of conductor composer Leonard Bernstein and actress Felicia Montenegre Cohen Bernstein. Mon Montenegre. Montenegre. That, that is that is accurate. We should again, Izzy, please join us. Um, but we should. Izzy, is that accurate? <laughs> we sh we. Um, I hope she listens to this episode. Yeah. I hope it, Izzy. If you are listening to this episode, you just punching. yell yell at it as you're go as we're going when she we should, get she stuff wrong. Put a commentary check of her. Oh god, that'd be awful. Like punching the wall, and only for us. It would be probably very <laughs> beneficial for the listener. Um, as I, as I said before, I didn't know much about Leonard Bernstein. Uh, I, I love classical music, but don't know a lot about Leonard Bernstein, mm -hmm. but I, but I love classical music because I discover it through movies. So as much as, um, you know, for, for example, I discovered, uh, Ravel through, uh, Wes Anderson in, um, uh, the, the Royal Tannenbaums, yeah. Adam Copeland through, uh, Spike Lee and he got game, um, Gershwin, you know, Rhapsody in Blue through, uh, Fantasia. Um, so, you know, I love listening to classical music as much as I discover it through the process of watching movies. Um, I was fascinated to see this because I was like, Leonard Bernstein is a name I've heard many times over, as mentioned, we've discussed West Side Story, um, on this podcast and, and is obviously a, a, a figure of note. Um, <laughs> I see what you did there. Yeah. There you go. A high note and a low, <laughs> um, uh, a dual competing notes. It's interesting to me that as a real immediate takeaway from this film, I don't get a sense of what made Leonard Bernstein such a genius in, in, in this movie, because the, I, I, I there's, and, and this is a, a, you know, maybe a Josh Singer issue more than anything. You know, he has written first man. He wrote the post, he wrote spotlight, one of my favorite movies in the last decade. Um, but I wonder about, the choice to find find a compelling narrative thread in Leonard Bernstein's life that seems to me to disregard the kind of populist thing about Leonard Bernstein, which is his approach to music, right? Mm. Like, why was he so good at what he did? And and there are like little slivers of hints to it. And I and I think one of the interesting things that's happened here is that the the love of Bernstein is kind of presumed. Um, because the yeah. movie is scored by his music. So there, and you know, like they use West Side Story um, a, a, as a motif throughout, you know, through, through one scene in this film, which is quite an interesting moment. Um, but, but, but ultimately, 
towards the end of the film, there's a moment where Bernstein is kind of like teaching somebody else to conduct um, or, you know, discussing their conducting with them. And I was like, man, I wish that this, there was more of this moment in the movie because I left it going two things. One is I, the movie doesn't give me the tools to understand what made him so great other than to say he was great. And there's a few scenes, of course, where, you know, there's a, the, the, the sort of recreation of Mahler's The Resurrection in Ely Cathedral, which is, is beautifully staged, but I don't, I don't have the language set or the vernacular to appreciate what made him so great. And it's odd to me that, you know, like this movie, uh, there's a conversation between this movie and Tar, I think, you know, not least of which it's is the that Tar the Tar Cinematic Universe. The Tar Cinematic Universe, Linda Bernstein is mentioned in Tar. Um, and, and, and I think there's an interesting uh, idea about like what is conducting that I feel like Tar kind of gives me more to understand. Even if I don't, even if I don't fully like get the mechanics of, I go, okay, this is why she's good at this. Tar, Tar dissects. A, a false character, a, a not real character, a fictional yeah. character, uh, how that character is just ingrained in their craft and why that makes them so excellent. Yeah. This, like you were saying, does not. Yeah. Um, I think this movie, and I don't want to say suffers because I, I do agree with what you are saying. Um, I'm going to say suffers. And when I think of the better word, I'm going to backpedal on that a bit. Okay. This movie suffers from not only people expect like expecting to know Leonard Bernstein. Yeah. But also like <laughs> almost understanding, uh, not just understanding conducting it. Here's what it is. It feels like the makers of this movie, Bradley Cooper, uh, Josh, Josh Singer, Singer, you know, uh, feels Spielberg, like Scorsese. Spielberg. Yeah. This <laughs> feels like a person that they are all, intimately familiar with mm -hmm. intimately you have to be to make a movie like this mm -hmm. but they either forgot or assumed that everyone was as intimately into this into leonard bernstein and knowing that much about them as it would take for someone to make this movie and therefore that element that you're describing is lost yeah i feel like it's lost in the margins it's like stuff that like it felt like the filmmakers were assuming we knew certain things so they just rolled forward yeah and the reason why I didn't want to say suffers from is to be honest, after I watched it, after I got into the rhythm of the movie, I didn't mind. Right. Um, I entirely agree that I did not understand why he was a musical genius. It was also pretty clear about a third through that this movie was not about why he was a musical genius. Tar interacts and interweaves that in its character narrative. Mm. This is doesn't feel interested in that. This feels interested in honestly the personal life of an incredibly famous composer. Uh, mm. that and so once I kind of got on board with that, it almost was. It didn't matter, and it was kind of better that I didn't know anything about him. I could just watch this man who was a professional at the top end of his game. It's the same as any you know, uh, you know, writer, actor, uh, sports person, whatever in a film, like going through a thing. I just don't fully understand his craft, mm -hmm. um, and I was just able to go along with the ride with it. The only time where, and this is where it felt a little bit odd, that moment, the 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 in the cathedral, mm -hmm. the the one take, yeah, well, uh, it's a few. Yeah. Well, so Bradley says the one they used was one take. Okay. Uh, I don't know if that's true. Actually, in, in that same thing, there's a really funny anecdote. He did it once. He yeah. composed the thing or whatever. And they like, they. This is the conversation between him and Spielberg, right? No, this is between him and Emma Stone. He's, he's uh, describing it. And he goes, and he goes home and he was worried he didn't get it. Yeah. And he's calling, he called like his, um, he called his sound mixer or something mm -hmm. at like six in the morning. He's like, did, did we get it? He, they're like, yeah, yeah, it's fine. And he asked someone else. They're like, yeah, it's fine. And he's like, I, I don't, I don't think we got it. And they had to go back and shoot. Um, the scene where she walks in from the side that mm -hmm. day. So all of the, the, everyone had to be there still. Yeah. So he goes, can we just drag the crane in one more time and do it one more time? We have this one like allotted time and they let him do it. Mm -hmm. And that was the one take that they did it. And apparently one of the top people in that orchestra came up to him mm -hmm. and was like, oh man, I'm so glad you did that. That was great. Like yesterday was shit. Right. And like, it, it, it was just funny because, uh, he was saying how he like just knew. I mean, he'd been uh, I, studying, uh, composing in Leonard Bernstein for, I think, six something years at this that's point. The famous, uh, that's the that's the good buzz story that's going around. Right yeah. Now. I mean, yeah. whether or not, however true it's it a is. Story. Yeah. 
But like, I, so specifically, Bradley Cooper spending that amount or a great deal of time to learn composing so he could do this scene. Conducting. uh, conduct, I'm so sorry, yeah. conducting, yeah. to conduct this scene in a believable manner where we believe Leonard Bernstein is conducting this thing like in the way that people would know that he did. Yeah. That to me says, well, then the music and the act of what he's doing in the craft is important. Mm-hmm. And this the movie builds to this, mm-hmm. but nothing else in the movie puts the music or the, or the conducting of music in the forefront. Yeah. So that felt to me not like it wasn't impressive. It was fucking hella impressive. Yeah. But it felt a little bit more like the stunt in a movie rather than the point of the movie. Yeah. And again, I don't know. Because so so the interesting thing there is that we have no pretext for what that scene is. Right? Right? The scene happens and it essentially concludes a scene that has preceded it. Um, where um, Lenny and Felicia are arguing because his sexuality has has while it once been tolerated throughout the you know throughout the movie has come to a head where she no longer accepts it. Um, or well, she, she no longer accepts their openness and that element of their relationship. She's challenged by yeah. it now and 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 challenges the the validity of how the relationship functions. Mm-hmm. Um, you know and 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 then this scene ostensibly concludes that by him by him conducting this orchestra beautifully and then running off stage to grab her hand because she's the most important thing to him in this moment. Mm-hmm. And I think it's a beautiful moment where, sure. where where she says you haven't got hate in your heart. And that's that's a conclusion of the this idea that while Bernstein may have been callous with her heart, he didn't I think what the food movie's getting at, he's not intentionally trying to hurt her. Right? This is just who he is. And who he part of who, who part of the genius of who he is also includes the the sort of private life of this man who had um, many affairs outside of his relationship. Well, so here's the thing: yeah. they're not affairs. She she from it is present. I don't know in real life in the film marital endeavors relations, but yeah. but it, but seemingly agreed upon, understood, and very out in the open to those in the relationship. Yeah. Uh, dalliances. Yeah. Um, so that's different. We're being, we're being very delicate about these. Da- uh, everyone be fucking. Be fucked. Yeah. <laughs> but like, but do you know what I mean? So that's just a little different from affairs. And yeah. there's some, what I found, honestly, weirdly, and don't get me wrong, Bradley Cooper's performance, Bradley Cooper's performance is, is fucking great. Yeah. But Carrie, Carrie Mulligan, Mulligan is excellent. Carrie Mulligan's Felicia actually stole the show for me because I found, because I felt this movie was about two professionals yeah. in a, 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 a very, um, Public-ish relationship. Yeah. Uh, I found her story far more riveting than his. Yeah. Because she was the one, and again, I'll say making sacrifices Mm -hmm. based on an understanding that she thought she was okay with, and we go go with her on this journey to the point where she's no longer okay with this. There's a part in the movie where she specifically says like, I'm, I was, uh, the children, I forget what it is, but like the children come to me and they're upset that they don't have Leonard's attention. And I, I'm always so proud of myself because I I was, I didn't need it, but she did like, and and, and, maybe she changed to a point where she did. And that could happen through getting older or getting, uh, just growing with a person or changing in your career or any of those things. And we see, it's like we said with anatomy of fall negotiations are ongoing. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So I found her transformation in the movie, like so interesting and nuanced. Yeah. I was way more captivated with what was going on with her internally. Cause yeah. I felt like to be perfectly honest, I felt like the movie was pushing me in that direction. Yeah, I think, we were I mean, supposed I, to be, sorry, we, yeah. we were, we were supposed to be impressed with Leonard Bernstein, yeah. but following the emotional arc of her. Yeah. And I, I think, you know, like the, the, the in sequence and the title over her face, you know, makes that makes that very explicit that the maestro and the conductor was her. And yeah. you know, his arc of the film is that um, the you know uh, what, what's the line? Uh, music, you, you must love music in summer, 
Um, if someone doesn't sing in you, then nothing sings in you. I was going to say, music makes me lose control. It does. Uh, music gets the best of me. Um, and, uh, and if someone doesn't sing in you, then nothing sings in you. And she sang to me or, or I, you know, I, music lives in me because of her. And, and I, I think that's a nice sentiment and it's a beautiful idea. And it is certainly evident in the real life relationship that despite the extramarital dalliances mm. that they were, an intimately connected couple, um, you know, three children, um, a long life together. And I think the movie, you know, like uh, there's an Edward R. Morrow uh, interview in the middle of the movie where uh, I think Morrow asks him, what is the distinction between your work as a composer versus your work as a conductor? And he says, as a conductor, it is kind of a performance that I'm giving out in a very public sphere. And as a composer, it's a very private thing where I'm making music by myself. Mm -hmm. And that is essentially the dialectic of the film is that the private Bernstein, uh, Bernstein um, was a man uh, with it's not proclivities. He was gay. He was bisexual. He had extramarital affairs. He he lived outside of the the confines of a traditional again, marriage. Not affairs. Uh, yeah, dalliances. However, you or at least to, again, I, how the movie was presented. I, I I saw a review by Dana Stevenson's, which I think she used the phrase. I I wasn't aware of this phrase, but I'd kind of maybe heard it as a lavender marriage, which is where um, usually both member uh, both parties of the relationship are queer and will you know like have a marriage, but also have their own lives outside of sure. it. Sure. Um, I I think the thing is. As a biopic about Leonard Bernstein, there's two factors here. One is I don't get an insight into what made what his unique talents were as a musician um, in this film. And then at the second, on the second side of it, while I think the idea that the movie is negotiating and navigating this idea that there is there can be love between two people, even when one of those people. Um, exists romantically outside of the relationship is also kind of a, not one note, but it's also like, okay, yeah, I get it. Um, great. And, I, and, I understand you, what you're saying. Yeah, you, know, you, like, you get, you get what this movie's going for and <laughs> will be telling you about for the better part of its runtime very early. Very and early. it doesn't, it doesn't shed anything particularly interesting on it outside of the performances and the nuances of how you glean this thing, you know, is coming. Yeah. And, it, and, and while I, you know, I agree with you, Carrie Mulligan's, uh, you know, like she gets to do a great uh, death sequence, you know, like, and, and it's, be again, beautifully filmed. Uh, there's that final shot of her on the bed being held by by Bernstein uh, and and there's light coming in through the window. It's just, a, it's a beautiful sequence. Bradley Cooper's visual direction is exceptional. Like he, you know, like yeah. he, you know, the, the sequence uh, as the, you know, uh, on the west side, uh, on the Upper West Side, having their argument in one shot, and yeah. and Snoopy flies past at the end. Oh. Just a beautiful piece oh. of screen direction. You know, again, visually set up by the fact that he comes in and he's like, "Who left Snoopy outside?" It's his day. Yeah, it's his day. You know, it's 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 really exceptional. And the opening, it's this I think the second or third shot where he's running through Carnegie Hall from an apartment uh, and into. It's. Just, I actually hated that. I. Loved it. I thought so. Here's why. I I wasn't gonna bring it up, but I, I right, feel bad because right. I have problems. Yeah. Um, I thought up until the point he ran into the open thing, and it's it's very 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 blatantly CG. There's there's a couple of cuts in it. Sure. Uh, oh, not the cuts. I'm yeah. talking about the end when it pulls out and it's and it's all I digital. I don't it, know if it's all digital. Well, it looks, it looks it. it. Yeah. Because everything else looked so fucking good. Yeah. And then that shot happened and I was like, oh God, I hope there's not a lot of things like this. And there aren't in the yeah. movie. That's the one time. Yeah. But it was, it was interesting that I found, and that's, I don't, has I found it exhilarating. I, was, I, I, again, it knocked me out. I was finding it exhilarating because I was like, oh man, he's going to run into the theater. This is fucking cool. Yeah. And then I saw it, I was like, ugh. Yeah. And, but, but then an interesting thing that happens right away is that, you know, there's the buildup of the idea that, and, you know, this is a true story, certainly, that Bernstein was asked to replace the conductor yep. at the last minute, had no rehearsal time, rolled into the theater, and at that point, he was anointed as the next great thing in American conducting. Um, and the film doesn't show us the actual performance. And, you know, I think Cooper's um, Cooper's explanation for this is like, 
uh, Lenny Bernstein was one of the most photographed men in, in human history. There are videos of all of his performances everywhere. You don't see a bunch. Including the Ely Cathedral one uh, sequence. You know, like you can actually watch that. Well, he did. He watched it a no, lot. You can watch it and it looks, yeah. it looks exactly like what they put on film. So I think his argument is we don't need to see him conducting because he's one of the most well documented conductors of all time. Well, you got to watch him conduct once though, right? <laughs> and, and, and I, and I, and I was like, and then we cut to, and it was like, Oh, he's the greatest thing ever. I was like, that's amazing. I'm, I'm sure he is. I'd really love to see that. And you know, like I was just like, I'd really love to, to get to know that. And, and not so late in the movie where I'm not invested in his genius anymore. And, and more sort of interested in like, I'm trying to navigate the sexual dynamics of this relationship, but I'm also at the same time kind of uninterested in the sexual dynamics of this relationship so because, yeah. because because the outside affairs are treated, or the dalliances or whatever we want to call them, are treated just as dalliances. We don't get to know these characters outside. We don't get to know the person that moved in with him. Though we um, do get to, that, that actor who plays the young guy who's in a lot of it near the end. Um, he's uh, actually also a famous conductor himself, I think. Um, is he? No, I yeah. thought he was the actor who was in um, uh, Marvelous Miss Maisel who played the the weird-ass magician. No, 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 no. The, the actual, the, the, the real person he's playing was a conductor uh, himself. Yeah, because he was, well, in the movie, he's a student. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, no, so so yes to everything you are saying, I also agree. I think the thing that I found interesting and that what I'm really liking more and more in movies that I feel like are hyper relationship focused yeah. is I like navigating the complexities of a person that I don't fully like. Yeah. Because We've talked about this, I think, mm. a thousand times across different movies about yeah. villains and things like that. And I don't think anyone's a villain in this movie. But yeah. the like uh, this this is taking sexuality out of the the, the thing and yeah. because everyone in this relationship was consenting until they weren't. And then there was a fight and then they but it doesn't matter. But I have a real problem when we, the audience, are seeing the subtleties of a person feeling being hurt by things that are going on and the other person continually, the other character doesn't see them and I get why and I get that's how life works and all that mm -hmm. stuff. But it's, it, I always find it super interesting. Like I, I think I'm more on the side of what's worse being horrible to a person and realizing it and be like, haha, or mm -hmm. being horrible to a person and not realizing consistently that you're not horrible because one shows that you at least think about the person's, thoughts and and autonomy yeah. and the other does not and and we see a lot of leonard in this movie not noticing um that felicia is hurting or, or slipping away from the original agreement now felicia's not standing up as well but there's also kind of that thing and the reason why i was okay sort of um diving into this element and really sort of thinking about it and enjoying how it didn't make me like leonard yeah all the time. Yeah. Like he's charming, but I don't, it, it's not like, Oh man, that guy's great. Like, yeah. um, was actually the way he started to treat Felicia was the way he treated in the beginning of the movie, his roommate and possibly lover, uh, in the beginning of the film when Felicia showed up, the Matt Boomer. Character, yeah. Boomer. Yeah. So you're like, Oh, well this dude is never thinking about other people he's thinking about the next thing or himself. Now, now again, in these specific instances, he obviously was there for Felicia near the end of her life and helping her through that thing and, and sort of came around. And I'm talking about the film. I don't know enough about the real life versus whatever, but like it, it's, it, I found the pattern and the fact that the movie chose to show us that pattern interesting. And it also helped inform what I thought the movie thought was important. Now, wouldn't it be interesting? And it's, I'm not saying that the movie doesn't do this because there's actually one specific scene that does this thing specifically. Well, wouldn't it be interesting for us to see him navigating that that dichotomy through his love of music? Yeah, it's called Tar. <laughs> yeah, it, uh, it, but also it, um, think about uh, Oppenheimer this year. You know, like imagine if Oppenheimer was like, well, you know, Oppenheimer was a genius and a nuclear physicist and you know, but but we don't. What we're really interested in is this relationship that he had with Gene Tetlock. Um, you know, uh, and which and you can make a good movie out of that. Maybe, maybe. But it's like, you know, you're talking about this larger than life figure. There is one scene where I think he's just composed on the town, 
and at the beginning of the film and um they go to see like a rendition of it uh, so um the setup for this is that um Sergio Kasovitz at Tanglewood uh sorry uh Kasovitsky um who is the who was his mentor at Tanglewood uh, along with again, Aaron Copeland is sitting next to him. I love Aaron Copeland. Oh, I think they're having lunch or dinner yeah, they're outside. They're having lunch, and she and Sergey is like, "You could be the the greatest American composer. You need to take yourself seriously and not do these theater, you know, not do Broadway, but do you know proper classical music." And she grabs him and says, "No, let's get out of here." And they kind of go to this performance on on the town, and then suddenly he's in the performance, and then there's this like tear in the performance. And and what's interesting there is that I think. That performance, what's happening in that scene is meant to encapsulate the entire film. Mm -hmm. He is drawn to this part of himself that yep. he can't quite articulate. Uh, it's flamboyant. It is queer. It is gay. And he's like, he's uncertain about it. And yep. she she is still within this relationship, but they are torn at the piece. And, and that's the performance. And that's kind of, you know, the, the problem with the movie for me is that's the thesis statement of the movie. And it's right up front. <laughs> yeah. And then, and yeah. then, and, and then. Like we've got another two hours to go. I didn't find the movie boring to watch, by the way. I did not. I actually Same. was. I found it like quite compelling, quite quite exhilarating in places. But I didn't discover anything new past the first third. Yeah, past that point, you're like, okay, that's what the movie is. And these are excellent actors at the top of their game, playing characters yeah. that I find interesting enough to keep watching and be interested, despite the fact the movie gave me nothing new after the first third. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And it's and 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 that's a that's a challenging thing because like when he gets to. Uh, his last monologue, he's giving an interview, you know, uh, about, uh, you know, again, the, the summer singing within him and music singing within him. And then we cut to the shot of Felicia in black and white again. Th there's no. In blue. Yeah, there's no conveyance of the. Well, no, that's not true. I understand what he's doing. I don't feel moved by it at that point. Uh, I feel like, yeah, that's. Yeah, yep. yeah, that that was your story. Yeah, yeah. Um, I never was emotionally heartstrung pulled at all. Like mm -hmm. I I empathized with characters. Yeah. Um and I felt bad sometimes or or happy when something good happened, but I never like Yeah. This was not anatomy of a fall. This was <laughs> not like uh society of the snow. <laughs> like th <laughs> this I got what this movie was doing the first third and then I just sort of it's like it felt like going on an amusement park ride that you've been on a bunch of times and yeah. you like it. Yeah. And, and man, it, the, you know, that second drop's really cool or the visuals are nice or like whatever. But, you, you know, you're going in it understanding that you're not really getting much more. Or maybe <laughs> I, I didn't understand that until the end. You know what I think about as well? Um, but I wonder if we are so inundated with biopics, you know, got two of them uh, running for Best Picture right now. Uh, maybe more. Is there more? Are there other biopics in the Best Picture nominee? I can't. I can't recall. Oh. Oppenheimer certainly, and this. Um, I wonder if we're in a sort of post-structuralist biopic phase where, you know, like we can't do a Bohemian Rhapsody about Freddie Mercury anymore because it's silly because it's already been parodied so much to death that a film like this really has to break that structure, maybe, and, and become more sort of vignettes of a person's life. But you know, for I example, don't know. I, well, no, no. So, um, uh, Aaron Sorkin, or you know, directed by Danny Boyle, uh, his Steve Jobs movie, uh, superb film, and basically looks at the life of Steve Jobs through three critical launches in his career, and that is a movie that gives me more depth of underst of understanding the contradictions of who that human being was, you know, while also expressing what his genius was. You know what I mean? And and that's essentially what a lot of biopics try to do is try to explain this is the genius of this man, this was the flaws of this man and or woman or whatever it is. And and how do we reconcile those things? And sometimes, you know, as the opening quote of this film is a work of art does not answer question, it provokes them and its essential meaning is in the tension between those contradictory answers. That is the thesis statement of most biopics. And and I I wonder if there doesn't feel like the film actually gives us enough enough weight to to really be wrestling with this at the end of the film. I'm not wrestling with Lenny Bernstein at the end of this movie. No, I get because, it. Because I'm like, yeah, cool. Yeah, he was. And, and that's not to say that I I fully get Leonard Bernstein. Yeah. 
I'm saying I feel like I'm getting very clearly exactly what the movie is telling me. And yeah. that's also fine. I just wish that I came to that getting or culmination at the end of the film as opposed to well, near I the felt, beginning. I felt moved by his love for Felicia at the end of the film. You know, the, the, yeah, yeah. I, but I don't. Yeah. But but I, I, I don't because of what we're presented with. Like, I don't know if it's true or I don't know. It's an interesting thing. I just watched um, Soderbergh's uh, Behind the Candelabra with Liberace yep. and his lover. And and it was interesting because that actually, that's a much more toxic relationship, by the way. That sure. is a, like, you know, a very, very toxic, you know, dip, vile relationship. But at the end of it, there are moments where you go, the challenge of this movie is accepting that while this relationship was so incredibly awful, there was a deep love somewhere in this. Sure. And we have to reconcile that. And we have to figure that out. Well, like Killers of the Flower Moon, I think, doesn't do a great job at this, but is kind of like trying to reconcile that idea. I am interested, as I said in that podcast, in the idea that love is not a constant good thing. Yeah. Love is a thing that can be the best thing, but it causes a lot of bad, like it's, it's complicated. <laughs> Someone, uh, I think it's the same person who's about to have a child, by the way. You know who you are. You know uh, who, who you are. are on, on Twitter. Um, mentioned that every year we come up with a thesis statement for <laughs> to summarize the year in movies. Ooh, what's our thesis statement? Well, they, they predicted that what you just said would be your thesis statement for the year, for the year in movies. Oh, that love, love isn't good? Yeah. Well, <laughs> that would be your thesis. Love isn't purely good. Yeah, yeah. Well, that would it, be. It, that, listen, I'll take that homework. Well, you got you to gotta then weave in the movies that we talk about through that thesis statement. <laughs> hey, you just wait until the best of in 2026 for yeah, 2023. Yeah. November uh, of 2024. And I'll weave it all together. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, again, gorgeously made, beautifully, beautifully rendered, absolutely believable. But a far superior film to something like Bohemian Rhapsody, oh, which is a yeah. film that just, you know, like defies expectations. But like I would. Oh, sorry. No, but one that ultimately this is the harshest thing I'll say about this movie. And I liked the movie. The harshest thing I'll say about the movie is it's a beautiful rendition of Lenny Bernstein that is struggling to find a reason to exist. Okay. Uh, I, this is interesting because out of all of even the best picture nominees, yeah, this is the one that I'm the most curious from our listeners, let's even say, mm-hmm. how people were affected or not affected by it. Mm-hmm. I would love it if you emailed us in at onlymoviepodcast at gmail.com if you've watched this movie. Mm-hmm. And let us know sort of where on all of the different coin sides you kind of fall in it. Because I feel like there's, while it does not connect and doesn't show much new and, but it still has glorious cinematography and obviously the music is good because doy. Um, And there's an insane um, feat of an actor becoming a a, a conductor. Um, There's a lot to love. Uh, Again, uh, Felicia, the character and performance is, is nuts. But it all doesn't fully connect. It, it, the, the, the engagement and whether or not you like this movie or not, and for whatever reasons, I feel like is is almost the most muddy out of all of the best pictures. And I'm curious what you at home, like what your reasons for liking, disliking, or being a little middle of the road are, because I think those reasons are are more complex than a lot of other films we could explore oddly. So here's an interesting um, side story. Uh, A couple of weeks ago, I was invited to a wedding. I went to the wedding. I was sat at a table with two other film composers and we got to talking as I do. If anyone talks to me for five, for less than five minutes, the the conversation will inevitably get to movies. Because you are uh, co-host of the only podcast about them. Also, I have, I have, I'm like a shark. I have nothing behind the eyes other than, than film strips. Whoa. Um, uh, We got to talking about movies. Uh, One of the people there, uh, both, it was a lovely couple who are uh, both film composers. Uh, One of them had worked with Johan Johansson on The Theory of Everything. Oh, nice. Um, So, you know, very well versed. And we got to talking about Tar. And they expressed how much they disliked Tar. Sure. And they said that one of the things about Tar, and this is interesting because I, I, I understood their point immediately, which was that they felt that Tar felt like an outsider writing about music. 
And there was they they pointed to the opening scene where she's on the stage with the New York Times interview, and she's she's explaining conducting, and she was like, and 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 the the couple I was talking to were like, musicians don't talk about music like that. They they explain it with their music. They don't they don't get into the nitty gritty, and they don't sit there and talk about like quarter notes and 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 stretching time. And even Stephen Gallagher, who was on our podcast about music and movies, said the same thing. He's like, you talk about music as a feeling. You know, you don't talk about the technicalities of it in real life. You know, like and it's interesting. I I have and I, I am not a. Oh, sorry. I, yeah. Oh uh, no, I was just going to continue with this because one of the things they did say was that from for them, Maestro gets a lot of the musicality correct, and they were like, Maestro understands what it is to be a musician more than Tarda. I don't want to put in buckets. Even and, and these uh, the, yeah. the three people and, and and guests on the show and all this stuff like yeah. I entirely believe that that is their feeling of it and and maybe yeah. that's a majority etc. Um, I get why that's true for an individual. I don't know, especially not knowing enough about it, if I'd want to put it in that bucket. I've talked to people about music that have talked about it in a very professionals mm-hmm. that have talked about it in a very technical way. Yeah. So I don't want to say that like oh no musician talks like that yeah. uh m- maybe the composers or 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 conductors uh that uh, the majority aren't that but like i don't know i, I that gets a little the, odd the, the the analogy would be is that someone said you're a filmmaker i wouldn't immediately start talking about lenses you film- wouldn't yeah. but another filmmaker might might sure but that was that was their point is that it felt like someone outside who didn't know well outside of their style yeah, of thinking yeah. about and, it. and and for them then maestro which had a much more yeah. embedded sense of like what musicality was felt a lot more accurate to them. And, and it's and nice I, to see that that's true, yeah. like in places. And, and, and for me, the interesting thing there was that, ah, that, that kind of unlocked a little bit of like my feeling about Maestro was, was that in tar for a lay person like me, who has no understanding of like what it is a conductor does, you know, like, like I, and I needed someone to hold my hand through it. Lydia Tarr's explanation of like, I extend time and I stop time and I bring time back and all that sort of stuff, the fomata, if you will. Um, that was really helpful and also then became a perfect, a really interesting metaphor for what happens in that movie in terms of her personal mm-hmm. versus her professional. Sure. This is a movie where that personal and professional, uh, it's, you know, I don't want to say that it, um, what, what I guess we want to get at here is that it feels like the professional in this film is so embedded, ingrained, authentic that it feels like I don't have a sort of foothold into understanding it. And it's that thing we just talked about at the beginning, which is like, I don't know. I, you know, like I understand that Lenny Bernstein was a genius. I, I understand that he is an important figure. I wouldn't even in, say I understand it. I am told it and I, I believe it. I believe, <laughs> I, I believe it 100%. I, there's a documentary, uh, Modern Masters, on, on HBO Max um, that is about his life. And I, and I watched that after this and I learned a lot about Lenny Bernstein and, and also what made him important as a composer. There's a great thing in there where Aaron Copeland um, who is in this film in that in that dinner sequence or in that table sequence outside yeah. Tanglewood, you know, like in the HBO Max documentary talks about how you need to take away these two bars out of this entire symphony that you've been working on or this entire orchestra that you've been working on. And these two bars tell me the most about you and work on those two bars. And I was like, oh, that's an interesting idea that I was like, I'm connecting to like, Oh, maybe what made Lenny Bernstein so interesting was the way, for example, in West Side Story, the orchestration of musics and harmonies captured this environment and place, right? Like, like I'm starting to like piece together, oh, that's what made him a genius, was that he could take these two bars and make the entire symphony out of it or something like that. I'm in in this movie, in Maestro, I'm I am on less sure footing about what makes Lenny Bernstein a genius. I, you know, like I, I, and I, and I want to know. This movie tells us Leonard Bernstein is a genius. It does not show us that he is a genius. Yeah. I mean, that, which, which again is fine. Yeah. It doesn't seem like that's what they were going for. But for for me personally, who doesn't know, and I'm kind of interested in that. I kind of want to watch that HBO Max thing now. I feel like I might get a little more out of it from that angle because that's, that's what they're talking about. But that's also like the simplified 
old hat biopic kind a of thing. A thousand you know I mean? percent. I think I go back to the things that I connected with in this movie uh, was the intricacies of the relationships changing, particularly Felicia's life throughout this entire story. Yeah. Because again, that's kind of what I felt like the movie was telling me was the important part. Yeah. And even though I did know all of the loops and the twists and the turns of the ride, because it was very blatant, uh, Carrie Mulligan's performance was, and Bradley Cooper's was, was really like there to make that ride the most comfortable, enjoyable and, uh, in the moment to moment nuances of that relationship, interesting as it could be. Yeah. Um, it's just that if I, if this will be the harshest thing I say about Maestro, yeah. I'd rather just watch past lives. Hmm. Past lives. Uh, in terms of like exploring a relationship. Yeah. What, yeah. In terms of exploring the, comp- a, a, in terms of exploring a deep, complex relationship, they are not the same issues. Yeah, yeah. They are not the same people. They are not the same anything. Yeah. But that did a riveting job explaining a situation and taking me on a journey that I didn't quite always know what was happening and making me emotionally engaged with the situation. Yeah. I'm not saying that Leonard Bernstein's story couldn't be told in that way. Yeah. It's just not quite at that level of storytelling complexity. And again, maybe that they, they were trying to balance. There's a whole bunch of stuff, but that was the harshest thing I think I could say. You know, and it's interesting again, I, I think Josh Singer is a great screenwriter. Um, I was, you know, like with first man, for example, I think I was like, I was somewhat taken by the idea that it was placing Neil Armstrong in this sort of context of the reason that he, what he carries with him to the moon is the burden of the death of his daughter. You know, mm-hmm. like that's that's a beautiful sentiment and it's like, it's a unique take on Neil Armstrong. It's connecting mm-hmm. the external profession yeah. and the internal, internal emotional journey of the character. Exactly. Um, I, I felt it was less successful on the post uh, when it was talking about uh, her, you know, Meryl Streep, I forget the character's name, but her decision to, yeah. uh, to run the story about the Watergate papers. Um, in this, I'm sort of like, listen, I, I, you know, at the same time, I'm still going. One of the interesting things is that people have been trying to make a biopic about Lenny Bernstein for for a period. There's a Jake. There was a Jake Gyllenhaal movie in development with Kerry Fukunaga at the same time as this. Um, so it's like obviously a figure, you know. And then Spielberg was attached to this with the Josh Singer script and was like, you know, I I want to do this, but the, the famous story is he saw A Star Is Born and was like, you know, this it's is like, the tell guy. me something good. Yeah, this is the guy who should do it. Martin Scorsese was attached to this at some point as well. Um, you know, it, it, clearly an important, a, a significant cultural figure, but one where again in the in the scape of this movie, I don't know if this is you know like Spike Lee's Malcolm X, a definitive exploration of who that person was. Yeah, you know. Um, I do want to, I want to get to a couple of other things just really quickly about it, unless you have other thoughts on the movie. I was just going to say, I mean, no, I'd just be backtracking. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the one thing is like this idea that Spielberg, um, handpicks Bradley Cooper to direct the film. I just think I, I love that. Like I, I, I love, and I love what's happened out of that. So this is my favorite story out of this is the, the favor economy amongst these people. Sure. Um, so I don't know if you know this, but like uh, Carrie Mulligan is married to, um, uh, one of the Mumford and Sons, maybe Mumford. Ooh, uh, hang on. Not Carrie, one of the Sons? <laughs> not, uh, Carrie Mulligan's husband is uh, Marcus Mumford. And at one point, Marcus Mumford wanted to do a music video for one of his tracks. And he's like, hey, Carrie, do you think you could ask Steven Spielberg if he'd want to direct my music video? And they And he did. And Steven Spielberg, like in amongst the fact that he's working on this production of Maestro, there's a, have you seen this, the Spielberg directed music video? No. Spielberg directed a Mumford and Sons music video um, in the middle of this production. And it's a, and it's amazing because it's uh, Spielberg and Kate Capshaw. Um, so they had no money to do this music video. So of course you would call Steven Spielberg to direct it and he's doing it on his iPhone. And so there's an iPhone music video directed by Steven Spielberg. That is the net result of his decision, like him seeing a star is born results in this movie and this Marcus Mumford music video and probably a lot of other things. Is the music video any good? 
Um, it's it's a curiosity because of the fact it's directed by Stevens, one of the right. greatest living filmmakers of all time. I'm it's always not a great. I'm, it's not a, no. It's if the name Spielberg wasn't attached to this music video, you would swipe past it pretty quickly. Interesting. I'm always curious when you strip down someone at that level to an iPhone, what happens? So maybe I will watch it. I don't know. It's 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 fascinating just to like understand that kind of like I I just love that the these people have this kind of like these are the the some of the most important filmmakers of our generation and they have this kind of like favorite con. There's a famous story about uh, Stanley Kubrick. This is this is now jumping to a side tangent. Stanley Kubrick jumping onto the set of um I think it's the spy who loved me because the production designer was working on the spy who loved me sit and was like, I don't know how to light this. So Kubrick turns up for a Sunday and relights the entire set for, for the, for the film. And it's like, it's an extraordinary sequence, a submarine sequence or it's a submarine docking sequence. And it's like, that was lit by Stanley Kubrick. And it was like this favor economy that operates within these people, you know, Spielberg seeing Bradley Cooper and going, you should really direct this movie. Spielberg. Spielberg's also very busy too. I, I I just saw the announcement for the Epic Universe uh, theme park that he's involved with designing oh. some of the stuff. This is an expansion to Universal Studios. Okay, uh, it's called the Epic the Epic Universe, and it's basically a whole new park. Okay, that is a center that's more like a park park, a giant cultivated park yeah. that then has four different worlds: a How to Train Your Dragon world, okay. a Super Mario or Super Nintendo world. Okay, I shit you not. A dark universe world. That's still happening. It, well, like, but but like they're going back to like classic movie monsters. Tom Cruise isn't and uh, Harvey uh, no, Bardem, aren't no, we? no. And I can't remember. Yeah, I can't remember what the fourth one was. But Spielberg was intricate in like designing elements of rides and things. He's yeah. in the announcement video. Yeah, and it got me thinking about, um, seeing him or or any high end director cultivating different experiences for people whether that be a Mumford and Son music video yeah. shot on an iPhone yeah. or trying to figure out what another way of engaging entertainment could be at a theme park I think that's always happened with him especially someone as significant as him like you know there's the he's one of the animaniacs essentially he lives up in the in the Warner right. Brothers towers yeah. um uh I I think there's that you know there's that I think there's a famous story as well as like when the U.S. government was trying to think of like terrorist situations that may happen to the United States. They they hired a bunch, or they they gathered filmmakers to talk them through like what would be something that would be so ridiculous and that would happen. Yeah, and they got like M Night Shyamalan to come in as well, or um, a few other filmmakers as well. I, I think the idea that Spielberg is making rides makes perfect sense. Uh, yeah. Oh, um, the fourth one is a uh, an extension of Harry Potter. It's a it's a thing either from Fantastic Beasts or the 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 London offices or something. So there's now three connected Harry Potter worlds at three different theme parks in Orlando. Makes sense. Yeah. Anyway. And maybe they should have a Lenny Bernstein world. Maybe. <laughs> I, I I here's the thing. I couldn't tell you what would be in it from this movie. <laughs> be beautiful. It'd be beautiful. It'd, It'd be, be very sound musical. Sound incredible. <laughs> Uh, that's it. <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, this yep. has been the only podcast about the film Maestro. Uh, Shahir, when you are not conducting your compositions or composing your conducting, where can folks find you? Uh, you can find me flicking my wrists at my website, uh, flicking my wrist aimlessly at my website at <laughs> www.shahirdaud.com. That's S-H-A-H-I-R-D-A-U-D. Um, or, or my company site, suvanova.com. That's E-C-U-V-A-N-O-V-A. Com. Matt, when you are directing Mumford & Sons videos on your GoPro, where can people find you? I was going to try to sing a Mumford & Sons song, yeah. and then I couldn't think of any. The first thing the first thing that came to my mind, not a Mumford & Sons song, was, you got a friend. <laughs> like, what is happening in my brain? You can find me forgetting all the discographies over at my website, um, but don't go there. I'm not going to list it. So just go to Extra History or Extra Credits on YouTube. We're doing yeah. some good works over there. We just released our open world city design problem, which is great. We also did a short on, uh, have you heard of pal world? Has your son talked about pal world? No, so let's not world. get into it here. Yeah. Uh, and, and then over on extra history, we're wrapping up. Uh, we just wrapped up, I believe our Uza Tien series. Uh, and now, Ooh, Ooh, by the time this comes out on Saturday, we will have launched an episode on the laying of the first transatlantic cable okay. and the historical nightmare disasters that kept happening to the people that were doing it. It is a fascinating story. If you are interested at all at like 
communications technology and the people that sort of laid, no pun intended, the groundwork or the undersea work for it, yeah. for our, even our modern day internet. This story is fascinating and full of so much like human drive beyond reason. It's yeah. very, very cool. I knew none of this. <laughs> Shout outs to, uh, to uh, rob our writer because he just went into this real hard. It's such a fascinating episode. I imagine, uh, like I'm imagining a sort of C Lab 2020 scenario underground, it's, under underwater. It's just like <laughs> so much money and manpower and time, and then sometimes they fuck up. Sometimes the Earth is like, nah, bro. <laughs> like it's it's fascinating. Yeah. Uh, anywho, Two next more. week. Is Zone of Interest to American Oh, Argyle, fiction. right? We're going <laughs> to go. Argyle is going to be what we're doing next week. It's up. That's best picture, right? Yeah, best picture. Yeah. No, I'm certain. No, it'll either be uh, Zone of Interest or uh, American Fiction. Whatever is playing closest to us. Uh, I think and, that's accurate. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm excited for both of those, actually. Uh, I'm really excited to see. Um, I think you could not get two more diametrically opposed um, films um, back to back. So I'm, I'm really excited for that. Are you excited for the Oscar season to be over? Like, what are you, what are you, yeah, what are I, you excited about? Honestly, Dune 2. Yeah. Uh, I actually have a great guest to talk to you about for that one as okay. well, uh, which I got lined up, which it's be funny. Good. Someone else reached out to me about do, being a guest for Dune 2. I've locked it. All I've right. locked it in. All right. There'll, um, there'll be a, a fierce worm ride debate. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm psyched for that. Um, I'm psyched. For, no, I'm not. I want to be psyched for Furiosa. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm but excited. I also, as you know, from this uh, listeners, uh, this, this podcast pedigree, she here and I started it because of Fury Road and yeah. it's going to feel weird to review Furiosa. Like, what if, what if we don't like it? <laughs> <laughs> well, that, I think that's, it's fine if we don't like it. The thing that I think I'm sort of curious about is uh, how many episodes are we at right now? How many? How many episodes? We're what? at four. Uh, four sixty-five. Four sixty-five. Which means we have thirty-five to go before we're at episode five hundred, which is going to happen this year, right? Thirty-five weeks. Thirty-five weeks. Yeah, it's February. Jan mm. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We're yeah. gonna get to we're gonna get to episode five hundred this year. Barring Should we not do Furiosa until episode five hundred? <laughs> and then that's it. And then we stop. That's the. And end then of it's the only the only podcast about Bluey. Yeah, from that point yeah. on. Maestro. Oh, I was going to say Matt. Oh, no. So <laughs> Matt, you're here. Um, that's how it's going to start, by the yeah, way. The you think we're joking. This will happen. Uh, I'm excited. I'll, I'll make it happen. It I'm just excited. might be in yeah. like March or April. <laughs> um, anyway, next week, we'll do one of those two films. Or Argyle. You don't know. <laughs> <laughs> talk to you then. Talk soon, everyone. Bye. Bye.